Uh, it is uh, good to be here this morning. Um, we, we're, we're preaching Genesis 41 today. We, we preach through books of the Bible. Where we've been in the book of Genesis for quite some time. And heading into Advent, it might make sense to like just pause the book of Genesis and just preach Christmas-specific messages. And a couple months ago, as I was praying through this and, and just looking at where we'd be, I was like, you know what? Genesis 41, 42, 43, and 44 actually seem like Christmas passages uh, in a way that I didn't expect them to. And so um, I, I pray and hope that, that the Lord will actually like bring us into Christmas in maybe a unique way through a unique way of looking at it um, through the book of Genesis. And so last week when we were in Genesis chapter 40, God used Joseph Joseph is, is, is the central character of, of a big chunk of the book of Genesis, more than any other character in the book of Genesis. Um, Abraham plays a massive role, and then Joseph plays a massive role. And what we see about God through Joseph's life, because this is not just a history book. This is actually a book to transform our lives, get us in step with God, get us locking arms with each other for the things God is calling us to do. And so Joseph has been trafficked in human slavery. Joseph has been wrongly accused by the husband and wife who bought him and who own him. He has been living in an ancient dungeon. And Joseph finally has a way out. The cupbearer. The cupbearer is like, like the head of the secret service of Pharaoh's administration. And the cupbearer is this guy in a position who knows Joseph's plight, is deeply helped by Joseph. So Joseph knows when the cupbearer thinks of me, he's thinking really good thoughts. And the cupbearer even, if we look closely at that passage, the cupbearer seems to agree with Joseph in the last chapter, pleading with him, get me out of this pit. Get me out of this dungeon. I'm not having a good time here. Maybe I'm not going to survive here with how bad it is, or maybe winter's coming. You know, we just don't know exactly. But Joseph is trying to get out of it, and the head of secret service forgets Joseph. Look at verse 1. That's what we're told at the end of chapter 40. So at the beginning of chapter 41, it says, after two whole years, two years, of, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Now look at verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. I, I think, just kind of pausing there, it, I've, I've just tried this week to imagine, and it's hard for even me to imagine, Joseph's situation. None of us have ever been trafficked in human slavery like this. I hope not. Um, none of us have ever been wrongly accused in this way. None of us have ever spent two years plus. He was forgotten for two years. He was maybe in prison for a year or two before that. But, but we, we know, like, 
he, this is his situation. We're told God is with him. And also, the disappointment. We know Joseph doesn't want to be there. We know Joseph wants his situation different. And Joseph had to have had hundreds, if not thousands, of disappointing thoughts. I, I just think of like Joseph watching the cupbearer leave. And then how did it feel the first few days? Like every time you heard something outside the, the dungeon, you know, I just see Joseph like craning his neck saying, is that the cupbearer? Is he here? Is he here to release me? Is, is this going to become this incredible thing? And it's like, and then just knowing like what could it have felt like to him for days to turn into weeks? Like when did he for weeks to turn into months? And how long did he anticipate surely the cupbearer is going to rescue me? Surely he's going to deliver me from this. And then when you actually come to terms that the, just the painful reality that no one's coming for you, that you've been forgotten, and you're just going to be in this dungeon. And like how easy, like I've just thought to myself, like how easy could it have been for me to just feel despair? Like just been like, man, I'm serving people. I'm, I'm telling people about God. And this is the thanks I'm getting. Like, how easy could it have been even to, like, seethe revenge in prison? To just picture your brothers laughing at you. Picture your brothers having families. Picture your brothers' lives, their marriages, the lives they're living. Picture Pharaoh or Potiphar and Potiphar's wife having a beautiful date night and you've been rotting in prison. It's like I would certainly have, at least when I'm, when I'm in the flesh, bitterness, vengeance, rage. Um, I, I would feel the victim of all victims. Um, and for Pharaoh to have a dream... When remember, why Joseph is even in prison is that he had two dreams where God showed him a picture of his life and for 15 years, none of that's come about. And other people have come and gone who had dreams and Joseph served them and helped them, but Joseph's dreams have never come true. And now another guy has a dream, Pharaoh. And man, I've just been... I try. I think it's a good lesson in Scripture to just be like, let me just pause and try and get myself there. Let me get present in this moment. Let me see how I would respond. Or let, let me see how like the worst versions of me would respond in a moment like this. And where now what, what we see is happening is that Pharaoh has a dream. It is bugging him. It is troubling him deeply. He called every resource he has at his disposal. He, he brings into, in, into action to just help him know what this dream means. He knows it means something significant. And what's crazy 
Uh, we see later in like Babylon with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's like, I don't trust these, these magicians. I don't trust, I'm not even going to tell them what my dream is. They have to tell me what the dream is first and then tell me the interpretation because he doesn't trust, trust them. It's amazing here that these people are like full-time job is a wise man. Full-time job is a magician. I can do tricks and stuff. And he, he tells them the dream and all the people are like, no idea. No clue. You know, they're not even pretending to have an answer. No answer. And then verse 9, the cupbearer, with all this happening, finally has a light bulb moment that Joseph has been waiting two years for. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in, in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. This, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He's a slave in prison. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And let's just pause. Like, this is Joseph's moment. If you're having daydreams in prison, if you're yearning for your situation to improve, like this is, this is the moment for Joseph to take matters into his own hands. Pharaoh needs him. The most powerful guy on the planet needs him. Nobody needed him, no one noticed him, and this is his moment. Pharaoh needs him. And man, the, the worst version of me, this is like, I was like, what would the worst version of me do in this moment? And I would take revenge because I have leverage. And I would say to Pharaoh, I've got a few, I've got a little, got a few things. I have some brothers would you send your military and destroy them? Then I will tell you your dream. Oh, and there's this guy, Potiphar, and his wife, his lying wife, arrest them, t torture them, and um, I'll feel better about my wasted 15 years of my life. Um, maybe then I'll tell you, oh, hey, the cupbearer, who forgot me for two years, yeah, I want him back in here too. I want them all to pay for what they've done. That's the worst version of me, um, being in that pit for so long. Throw the cupbearer in prison, do all this stuff, and then once my conditions are met, I will, let's talk. See how Joseph actually responds. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God 
will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I'm like, where does this come from in this man? Where does it come from for him to be like, you know what? I actually can't help you. I don't got that. He's speaking to one who thinks he's God. He's speaking to one who other people say is God. He looks at, you know, we've all seen the hieroglyphics and stuff like that. He's, he's looking at Pharaoh, which is a title, God, head. And he says, God will give Pharaoh. Not just like God will tell you your dream, but look. He's saying God is going to be kind to you. God is going to give you a favorable answer. And like Joseph doesn't focus on himself at all. You see no leverage. You see no trying to manipulate things. This is his moment. He's in the throne room with Pharaoh, a moment that he's desired. And he's, he's not even thinking about himself at all. And he lets Pharaoh know, hey, there's this real one God he can interpret dreams. And Joseph even already knows that this is a good thing and that God is being kind to Pharaoh. And I think by implication is that Joseph is in step with God's heart. Like even a guy that seems to be wasting away in a pit can actually have his heart lined up with God in a way that um, he can be self-forgetful and, and he can say, hey, there's a God that is gonna be really nice to you. And look at verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh. Uh, Joseph is in the middle. Uh, this is a long chapter. I think we preached 20-some verses last week. This is like three times longer than that. So um, it feels like a crime to me to skip verses, but what I've sought to do is, is for us to, to cover the chapter and not have a two-hour sermon, which, believe me, I am all for a two-hour sermon, but uh, um, we are all uh, limited people, and, and I am a limited person. And, um, and so my, my prayer has just been in community group, we'll, we'll, we'll dive more into this than in um, just our personal walks with God. We can dive more into this. But this is, uh, we're picking up in the middle of Joseph talking to Pharaoh, and he says, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, by the real God, and God will shortly bring it about. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. 
The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine there to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. So God has given him a 14-year dream of basically the whole world will starve to death. This is the greatest empire of the world at the time. The whole world will starve to death if you don't spend these next seven years storing up the incredible high yields, higher yields than you've ever had before that you're going to have. Store all that. You're going to have to do construction projects. It's going to be like landing a man on the moon. It's going to take all sorts of people building all sorts of things, uh, logistics, all this stuff. And, and it, what we do in the next seven years will mean the world doesn't starve to death in the next seven years. And he's like, and then you, you, you're going to need someone to direct this Manhattan Project type thing. You're going to need to find somebody like that. And what is crazy is, it shocked me as I was reading this in a fresh way, is I believe when Joseph said that, he was under no illusion that he was that guy. He, he doesn't show any, any he, doesn't, he doesn't in any way sway, and I believe he's getting ready to go back to the dungeon and have dinner. And he is expecting that I've been brought out to serve Pharaoh. God is, is being favorable to Pharaoh. And I'm going to have dinner in the dungeon. And once again, like, what is going on inside of him that can be like that? That can live that way? And then we see verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and my people shall, shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. I mean, to go from forgotten in a pit to now the second most powerful person in the world is um, quite a rise. He is truly brought out of the pit. Half of Joseph's life has been spent in slavery, trafficking, the pit. He's, he's now been raised up, and he could now... Um, I've had people that I've been able to be mentored by and stuff and just say, like, sometimes success is one of the biggest dangers of falling away from God. Um, that many times, you know, you can, it's, um, you know, when you're in the pit, <laughs> you can only look up, right? <laughs> um, but, um, but, but there is a wisdom that says, like, sometimes the great success is, is more dangerous um, 
maybe this is not a good thing. Maybe it is a good thing. No. Verse 50, though, look at this. For before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God, this is when he's raised up, he says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph recognizes that God's hand is on his life. God has lifted him out of the pit. Pharaoh did not lift him out of the pit. God is making him forget all those years of pain. And I think forget, not in the sense of like, oh, I don't even remember those, but like just bringing him into a new season. God is making him fruitful in the land of affliction. And that was just even as I was looking over this this morning when I got up, that, that was what I was like, God, would you, what would it look like for each of us to say, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction? And I was like, God, would you, would you do a supernatural work in our midst this morning? Because we, some of us know each other's land of my affliction. Um, I think for many, it's a... Um, it's, a, it's an isolating, isolating thing, it feels like, that you don't know the true land of my affliction. And to be able to have that light shine and to be able to say, like, man, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And, and I love even how Joseph thinks of that, is it's, um, you know, that God was there in the land of affliction and that God didn't get him out of that for 15 years, but that God allowed him to be fruitful in the land of affliction. And, um, you know, it just, like, I feel like at this point, what we could do is just be like, man, let's just, let's, let's focus on the yields. Let's focus on the agriculture. Let's focus on uh, Joseph's new position. And, you know, let's think about all those things. But where, where I've just been feeling like, man, I, I think when this is communicated to people who have been slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, and Moses is writing this book for these former slaves to able to become nation builders, and as we have been slaves to sin, and he is actually making us be brothers and sisters children of God, nation builders of the kingdom of God. I, I, I think this is less about agriculture and uh, you know, great works of, of human engineering. And where I think the marvel is, is in Joseph's heart. What, what is, how, how could he respond that way? How was he not bitter? How did he not be overcome by the injustice of his life? How did the pain not bury him? How did he not grow callous? How did he actually help people 
when he was not being helped in the same way. And First uh, Peter 5 just hit me like a bolt of lightning. And I was like, I think this describes his heart. And this is Jesus' writings to us, inviting us into a heart posture to live this type of a life. First um, Peter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. And I just picture Joseph thousands of times. Bitterness casting on you, God. Bitterness casting on you. Revenge casting on you. Lies casting them on you. New lies casting them on you. Old lies casting them on you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. I see warfare in Joseph's dungeon, resisting the lies, the accusations, fighting against false thinking. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So even if you're like, man, I don't know of anybody that's got as bad as I do, and you're like, well... The, the one that I'm actually casting my cares on um, suffered more than I would ever suffer. And so at least we'll find community among us. And after, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, Joseph's little while was 15 years. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he will do this by his hand, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I looked at dominion, like what does that kind of mean? And it's like his mighty power. To him be the mighty power forever and ever. Amen. Like it's, Joseph's, just observing the way he responded, he was focused on him. Him being our hope. That's what Bryce is, and Katie like spoke into that, prayed into that with our, our Advent time. Like he is our hope. I, I loved how Bryce prayed that, is, is our hope as a person. He has called us, like this is written to us. <laughs> he has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. That's, that's our dream, to get in Christ, to live in Christ, to him be the power forever and ever. If we're in the pit, him. If we're out of the pit, him. God making us fruitful in the land of our affliction. And, and God, I just want to pray right now that um, 
Joseph is not the superstar. Joseph does not have a relationship with you that we could never attain to. Because the, the special one in that relationship is you, not him. And, and you are the same yesterday, today, forever. You're communing with him. You're inviting us to commune with you. For some of us, that might be meeting you as our savior for the first time ever. Saying that, God, I want to live under the mighty hand of God. And Lord, if, um, if, if you, you are, I believe everybody's here for a reason. And um, Lord, I just ask of you, would you just touch hearts in this room? Would you touch people? Maybe people that are even saying, well, if, if, if people really knew my story, if Tim really knew his, this story, I would be the disclaimer, the exception. Um, God, would you just overrule them with your love right now? Would you overrule them with your grace? Would you overrule them with your invitation to come live under the mighty hand of God? For all of us, Lord, we want to live under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time you may exalt us. We know that the way we do that is not to try harder, read a better book, watch a, watch a better YouTube video, but, Lord, the way we do that is to look at you, move towards you, allow you to surround us with your love, with your grace, calling up, that we can hear the whispers, hear the, the loud shouts of you calling us to your eternal glory in Christ, looking to you to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. To you be the power forever and ever. And so as we move towards communion, Lord, um, would this not just be a... Uh, just a, a traditional thing that we do, would we actually commune with you? As family, would we commune with you? Jesus, for your glory we pray.